Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week and a tough loss for the Eagles as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 219. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk where I sit down with Greg Cosell from NFL Films to talk about what we saw from the Eagles loss on the road to the Miami Dolphins. Obviously a frustrating defeat on both sides of the football. Some plays that were left on the field. We will talk about what we saw on film from that game before we move to next Monday night's matchup prime time against the division rival New York Giants the first time these this year that these two teams have met Greg and I will dive into both teams on both sides of the ball and what it means for this weekend's matchup after that we will jump into my scouting report segment on Giants safety Jabril Peppers a guy who's got a little bit of a a transformation here in his career with his second team after being traded to the Giants from Cleveland this offseason so we'll dive into my notes on him coming out of Michigan just a couple of years ago but let's not waste any more time let's get to the top of the show here. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Back again for another segment here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, our friend Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, welcome back to the show. We've got uh, you know, a tough one to talk through, obviously. The, the Eagles go on the road. They lose to the Miami Dolphins. We sat here at this desk a week ago, and we told Eagles fans, we said, look, um, you know, this is not a team that you can just walk in and you know, just you know, sleepwalk through. And I'm not saying the Eagles sleptwalk through the win, but... You couldn't. You can't necessarily look at this Miami no. Dolphins team and say, "Oh yeah, the Eagles are they're definitely going to win this game." This is a team that was com- that competes hard. They play hard on film, and they played hard on Sunday. And what did we say last week? That when you play Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's a gunslinger. He's going to throw the ball up. If there are one-on-one matchups, he's going to throw the ball. Yep. And that's exactly what happened. And balls were complete. And we'll we'll discuss that a little more, obviously. Yep. But. When you play Ryan Fitzpatrick, who started a lot of games in this league yep. and has stuck around for a long time for a reason, yeah. you know he he's always understood that in the NFL that if it's man coverage, you've got to throw the football. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, that was certainly a, a trend, especially in the second half, last three quarters uh, of that game. Let's start with the Eagles' offense, though. Um, and obviously, a lot of people are going to say, "Okay, what did Carson Wentz look like in this game?" I thought if you looked at it from the last two weeks to this week, it was certainly a, a step in the right direction. I thought he was much better in this game. I thought that uh, to take a quote from Doug Peterson over the last few weeks, he let the offense work for him a little bit better in this game. I thought a lot more late in the progression throws, where he got to the second and third read, that touchdown to Miles Sanders, the first touchdown of the game. He he was the third read on that play. So uh, being able to see him kind of get through his progression. I don't even know if he was a quickly. read. Well, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> was, I mean, it was literally on the backside. Right, right, right. two-man route concept to right. the right, one right. over the middle, and he went to the check down. Right. And he hit it quick enough that it was on target, and he was able to create yards right, after right, catch, right. Uh, for a touchdown. But um, I thought Carson overall, he had some, he had some negative plays, uh, certainly had a couple of missed throws in the game, which are, which happened, and, and also the, the you know a, a couple sacks uh, they'd probably like to have back. But uh, overall, I thought that he played fairly well in this game. Yeah, and he certainly played better than he had the previous two weeks. Yep. Uh, made some better throws. Still missed a few, as you said. Um, the one thing that I'd like to see now, and again, we're not in his head, I thought there were a couple of throws to be made where he didn't turn it loose. And again, only he could tell you why. It, you know, it's easy with a clicker when you're going back and forth five, six, ten times, right. as we do. Right. Uh, and then we think we're really smart. But... Uh, I would love to know why on a couple where he, where the read was to that side of the field and it appeared that he was looking right at it yeah. where he didn't turn it loose. Yep. And I don't you know, I can't answer that. Yeah. But he didn't. Yeah, there were there were certainly a couple uh, that he would have liked to have back from that standpoint. Um, I thought they did a good job of moving the pocket a little bit more. Yes, they did. Uh, we saw him on the run a little bit more in this game. Uh, you know, and then I thought the, the the return of Alshon Jeffrey certainly he made a couple of big catches in the game. Uh, I thought there were a few too where uh, those two certainly were on the same page. Right. You know, the the ball coming out early, Alshon being where he was supposed to be, uh, and then coming through with with some big catches in important moments as well. 
No question. Um, look, it's an offense, and this is what the tape shows. They run a lot of individual or what we call isolation routes. Yep. Uh, they got a lot of man coverage from the Dolphins. Uh, so when which you we expected, which we definitely expected. Yep. Uh, given certainly Brian Flores' background with yep. Bill Belichick. And I think when you run individual isolation routes, you're expecting your receivers to create some separation and win and present an opportunity for the quarterback to deliver the ball. Mm. That's what they do. Yeah, no, I think that um, you know when you look at Alshon, this was probably one of his better games from an execution standpoint. Uh, you know, and they—they, they, I mentioned they were able to move the pocket a little bit more. I thought Miles Sanders ran the ball fairly well in this game. Um, you know, continue to there. There are some where you can kind of see he's a little bit hesitant to kind of just really hit the holes at, at sometimes. There are still some times where he bounces a little bit quicker. But overall, you're seeing him make steps in the right direction from that standpoint because I don't think that's in his nature. I would say to be that kind of you know we say that you say this all the time with uh, with Jordan Howard that. He He's a, uh, a sustainer, a grinder inside. That's not necessarily Miles Sanders' nature as a runner, but you see you know, him making strides in that area. Without to, to question. Between, in contact. And I even made that note watching the tape that I thought he had some tough inside runs yeah. where there was a hole or this time a crease or a crack more than a hole, yep. and he saw it and he hit it. Yep. And uh, they ran a couple of wham traps, which is an, an inside run, and you've got to hit that. Yep. You know that that's not really a patience run, right. as it, as much as hey, hit it and get get what you get. Yep. And they ran. I can remember two. I can't remember if they ran more than two, but I can remember two. Yeah, they ran a couple. One of them uh, picked up, uh, I think, it was one picked up well, nine, yep. one picked up five that I remember. Yeah, and they ran one. Yeah. The one that was for five could have been for more. It looked like there was a bust at the second yeah. level there as well. Um, so I think when you look at uh, Miles Sanders, that you're starting to see some things uh, in the right direction. Had some nice plays in pass protection as well. Um, you know, overall. Look, the offense, I mean, they scored 31 points. And when I was looking at the drive chart and just saying, okay, like, what, where were some of the drives where uh, things didn't go well? And that includes Zach Ertz dropping what should have been a touchdown. Yeah, no question. Same play that they scored a touchdown against Chicago. Yep. It's one of their staples. Yeah. They run it, not every week, but they run it when they think it's effective. Yep. And he beat uh, Eric Rowe, who's basically the tight end matchup for the Dolphins, as yep. we talked about last week. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously, Zach, I know he came out after the game and said that he thought it was one of his worst games. Yeah. You know, he could have caught the touchdown, too. I don't know if it would have changed the outcome. That's all at the, the game, end. Yep. Yeah. That was a tough one. Yeah. yeah Rowe made, made a great play on the yeah. ball. Yeah. You'd, that's one of those where it's like, yeah, you, you'd love Zach to come right. up, or come up right. with that catch. But also and I think he expects himself defender. to come up with exactly. that catch. Yep. But, but obviously, the other one. That's a tough one. It was yep. just a clean drop. Yep, sure. And what hurt that especially was that came on second and seven. The next play, Carson Wentz gets sacked. Correct. Uh, so that puts the team back, and then they miss the field goal. Jake Elliott's first miss of the season. So, um, you know, that sequence was, it was a tough one to, to overcome because now uh, the Dolphins get the ball, good field position. They go down and score, and now that the game flips. And isn't it funny how games work? And, again, we'll get to the defense, and obviously it was not a good defensive performance. No. But – it's funny if Zach Ertz and and he does not drop balls, so if he makes that catch and scores, all of a sudden a lot of the other things kind of fall by the wayside. Right. Not from a coaching perspective, you still have corrections and you have to fix it, but we'd probably be having a totally different conversation. Yeah. Right. That's we've said this all year. Yeah. You know, I mean, we said that after, after the Atlanta game, we said after the Detroit game, and it's it's the micro version of that because we're talking about the Atlanta game a lot differently if Nelson catches that ball down the left sideline right. late in the fourth quarter. We're talking about the Detroit game a lot differently if you know you take out the fumbles or you know J.J. Ortega-Whiteside comes up with a great catch down the post you know, late in the game. Then you look at it from like the macro version, right, where it's like, man, like, all right, well, we're, what are we saying about this team right now if they're two wins better than where they are? I mean, they're, right. they're, they're, if you flip the record and say, oh, they're 7-5 and five instead of 5-7, and seven, different conversation, like – Football, but that's, that's that's football. That's the NFL. And the thing is, it's the best part about they're football, not a great way. team. So this is the way it is when you're not a great yeah, team. Right. Games come down to one or two or three plays in any given game. The large majority of teams are this way. Are this way, yeah. and if you don't make them, it makes your team, your whole team, look bad. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's it's one of the things I love most about football. Is Me that, too. And that's why yep. people say any given Sunday. That's why they say that's why they play the games like that. For exactly these kind of scenarios, um, but it was it was one of those games offensively where uh, you know they they score thirty one. What did they punt two three times? Um, you had the missed field goal. They, just, they didn't really turn the ball. They had the fumble or the interception on the, at the well. That was the last drive, play. The last right, play. Right, but right. outside of that, they didn't right. turn the ball over. No. Um, you know, it was just one of those games. That it was it was good, but not good enough. Uh, no, and I thought, and as, as I'm sure you did, 
that when they scored on that final drive at the end of the first half with, yep. what, 10 seconds or so to go yep. when he hit Ortega Whiteside on a really nice play by Wentz. And then they had the drive to start the third quarter, and they marched right down the field. And it's they, 28-14. And they score on the mesh concept, which they got zone on that, so he hit where the throw is supposed to go, which is the, the sit right. route behind the mesh. Yep. You know, you're thinking, okay, the offense looks good. They're in command. Twice in this game, they're up by two scores. They're up ten nothing uh, yep. to start, and they're up twenty eight fourteen in the early yeah. third quarter. Um, and you feel you feel good in the, in those scenarios. You absolutely, uh, did. especially against a team in Miami that had struggled to put up. Uh, that was the season high for points for them, especially in the second half. They had struggled to put points on the board in the second half of games. Um, you know, it was one of those. They, it was it was tough. But I I was glad you brought up the Alshon t- touchdown as well because uh, they did run mesh a handful of times in this game, which they always do. They always do, especially against teams that feel they're going to play a lot of man. I thought it was ironic. Uh, you know, kind of funny that the the times they ran mesh in this game, they never saw man. It was zone every single time. And I don't know if they if that was a, a, a you know a nod by Miami. Oh, hey, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna play zone if you think we're gonna be in man in these scenarios. Um, but Carson Wentz did a good job of understanding. Okay, it's zone. This is where I have to go with the football. Uh, and they were able to connect. Dallas Goddard. Uh, I know that Dallas Goddard one was just a, a drive play where he caught that one uh, for I believe twenty four yards. But they had yeah, that, that to me the coverage was that was not mesh. No, that was not mesh. That was and, and they got confused on the coverage yep. there. Uh, but the two inside guys. The Alshon, the Alshon yeah. touchdown was, was definitely mesh. mesh. And then they threw one to, I believe it was Nelson that ran the sit route, and he just sailed it. It was earlier, earlier in the game. That is correct. He sailed that one. Yep. And that's a throw you got to make. Right. Yep. In fact, they ended up with a field goal on that drive right. when that would have been a first down. Right. And that's a throw you got to make. But it's interesting. You talk about getting zone on, on the times they ran mesh. The majority of the game, the Dolphins played man-to-man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we spoke... Um, a couple of weeks ago about Bill Belichick putting Stefan Gilmore on Zach Ertz, I think the fact that the Dolphins played a ton of man tells you a couple of things. Number one, they play a lot of man. Yeah. But number two, you know, I think when you play the Eagles, teams feel comfortable playing man. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think they have to think about as they move forward. Now, that's sure, something yeah. you can't change this year, yep. but it's just something to think about going forward. If teams are more than willing to match up to you man-to-man, then you have to win versus man coverage. Right. However you do it, you can win with individual routes where your receivers win yep. and create separation, or then you have to try to win with scheme, whether it's stack bunch, rubs, whatever it is that you do, you know, uh, scissors, whatever it is, you have to win with scheme. There's only really two ways to do it, individual or scheme. Right. And, you know, I think that the Eagles have struggled in that regard this year. Yeah, no question. I think that's uh, certainly something, um, you know, that has to be talked about for sure. Uh, let's go over to the, the defensive side. And, you know, I think a lot of fans that listen to the show will say, what happened? Like, what, what, what happened on defense? What happened on defense? Because, you know, we've talked over the last few weeks about how the defense has really taken steps in the right direction and how, they, you know, they've gotten so much better in coverage. They did four straight weeks, 17 points or less, first time since 2009, only team in the NFL to do that, uh, number one against the pass in, in November. And they came out and they gave up. It was 38 points uh, to the to the Miami Dolphins. So, again, a season high. So, um, in your estimation – what to me? What to you was the, the big thing that you walked away from that watching from the defensive side? Well, let's start with with the fact that the main player here was Devontae Parker, and that was the guy we broke down last okay. week. Yep. Other than his first route and his last route, which were four, which was fourth and one. Okay. Every route was a vertical route outside yep. the numbers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically, what happened in the game, and there's more to discuss here, and we will, but what happened in the game, based on the Eagles' coverages, if you're going to run a vertical route outside the numbers, it became one-on-one. That's it. It's not like they found the void in the scheme. There was no other guys getting beat one-on-one. So what happened was Darby and Mills got beat one-on-one. Now, you can debate the plays all all day. You can say, oh, they were contested catches. They weren't beat. They, you know, and we can go over to specific plays. Yep. I mean, I think the touchdown to Parker, the 17-yarder, I thought Mills played that very poorly. I would say overall, he probably had one of his worst games yeah. as, as a pro from playing the ball in the air. There well, were a couple I that thought, were just mistimed, and you know, he did you know, something. He didn't even leave the ground. Like he right, just, it was, they right. were just misplayed. Unless I miss my guess, I thought that that 17-yarder was man coverage. Yeah. And he played zone technique, and he lost total contact with lost Parker. Him. Yep. Um, but so again, you can debate. Hey, they were there. They were, you know, the 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 forty-two yard touchdown. I guess it was. You could say, hey, Darby was there. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was. Darby. The thing with Darby is that he gives up half a foot to him. I mean, right. he's 5'9 right. and change, and Parker's 6'3 and change. There were so, times where I thought Darby was in position. And he was. And he was. And I made point. a note. You know, I'm, I'm, I want to look at my notes here. I made a note that, um, you know, um, and here's what you could say, okay? And again, this is not a knock on anybody, but they, the Eagles played a lot of single high, which left Mills and Darby on an island on vertical routes outside the numbers. That's the way they chose to play. Now, people are going to say, well, what should they have done? You, you know, really, there's only two coverages that theoretically you could play yep. to help them, and that's two-man and cover two. Yep. They chose not to do that. Now— they did. They final drive. Yeah, uh, they they went went to it. But uh, well, they thing, played more split safety. Yes, played yes, more split yes, safety. Yes, there. yes. But I think the the big thing is that's the way the Eagles have. That's that's how they play. The they play. That's the way they play. They're a single high team. I mean, when right. the last four weeks when they've been outstanding and they're uh, they're keeping Tyler Lockett to one catch for for twenty eight yards or whatever the catch right. was and all the other these other no, their defense John Brown, have been very like, very good. Yeah, they put faith in their corners in this game and the way they chose to play and. But, you know, based on, I think, past performance, uh, there was probably no sense that this kind of thing would happen. Right. But as we've said about Ryan Fitzpatrick, when it's one-on-one, he will throw the ball. Yep. I mean, even threw the ball when Gusecki had that 21-yard catch against Jenkins, when there was pressure right, you know, right as he threw it. And I forget who, who had the pressure, but... Um, uh, you know, but he just laid it out there, and and Malcolm had actually pretty good coverage. Yep. And Gusecki made the catch. No, that was it was great coverage by Malcolm. He, yeah. He raked his hands for the catch point, the whole deal. The kid just came down with the ball. Yeah. So I mean, that this was a game where they got beat playing whether it was a zone concept or a man concept. Parker beat them big time outside the numbers yep. throughout the course of the game. Yep. Uh, and it's a shame because defensively, from a from a front standpoint, I thought Derek Barnett. Well, he had Fletcher he had Cox. one bend and and close, and it actually ended up being a completion yep. because Mills and Maddox got confused in their communication yep. and in their man coverage. But boy, I, I don't he recall. By, I, I don't recall seeing Barnett quite bend like that. Right. That was really a positive. Yeah, I, I think when you looked at him. Um, you saw Barnett go speed to power on that two point conversion. Get the you know it was a sack. It's not going right. to go down the sack as a right, right. stat book because it was a two point play. But you saw him go speed to power. You saw him win with his hands. You saw the flexibility. You saw Fletcher Cox win numerous times one on one. like flew off the ball in a couple. Well, of those and plays. we saw again that tilted front, the overstrong yep. front with Bradham. Yep. Um, there was one one of the Parker plays. They did the same thing where Jenkins green dog, but this time he took the wide outside path and he yep. was just a step late. Yep. And it was a completion. We, yep. I can't remember if that was the touchdown or just a big play. I think it was the big play. I don't think I don't think off the off the top of my head. I watched it this morning, so I'm not yeah. exactly sure. I think it was the big play, not the touchdown. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm um, probably. But yeah, I mean the first first third down of the game, we saw the tilted front uh, with no, Bradham it was the 43 up yard. TD. It was the touchdown. It was okay. the 43 the yard TD. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I, and that was that was a killer play because yeah. that kind of that kind of set the table for for <clears> Miami <throat> the rest of the day. Yep. Where ball's going to come out, Devontae Parker one on one. You know, and, and kind of showed how aggressive they're going to be as well. They were three for three on fourth down, uh, and that was a fourth and four play. That was a fourth and four play. You're right. Um, so that, that was a bit of a killer. But uh, no, first third down of the game, uh, you mentioned we saw Nigel Bradham up on the line of scrimmage, create the one on ones. Josh Sweat wins. They ran the stunt on the backside. And, and, and Cox got Cox in because in. Yep. the center came off yep. to get whoever it was who was, was the Bar- one Barnett. technique. Yep. Right. Bar- Barnett came around. Right, right. It was Barnett. Yep. Correct, correct. Because so, uh, Cox was the one technique. Yeah. So yeah. it was. Uh, Defense from a front standpoint, I thought those guys played really, really well. Tim Jernigan was really active. I know yeah. he had the two personal fouls, but um, you know, and those were no. I mean, there were a couple of times where they were real close. Yep. Uh, but Fitzpatrick just laid it out there. I mean, look, this game, this game, we, we knew going in, this game was not going to be about the Dolphins' run game. They yeah. can't run the ball. No, that this game was going to be about Fitzpatrick. This is what we spoke about last week. Yeah, this game was yep. going to be about Fitzpatrick throwing the ball to one-on-ones. I, I think I even said to you, and it didn't start out this way, obviously, but I said you got to be fit- careful with Fitzpatrick. You could be down 14-3 before you know it. Now, the game didn't start out that way, right. but it ended up playing out that they way. They scored five touchdowns and five straight drives. Correct. Uh, without the kneel down at the end of uh, the first First, half. Correct. You take that out, and they scored five touchdowns and five drives. Yeah. I mean, that's, t- I mean, that's tough to... to and, and you know, at the end of the day, if you're... if if you're a coach, you can point out the good, just like we're doing. But at the end of the day, that can't happen to the, with the Miami Dolphins. Right. Yep. No, it's uh, it's a tough loss. It's tough a really loss. it's a really tough loss. At the end of the day, um, you know, if you're looking big picture, if you're an optimist, and you say, all right, well, what does this mean for the team moving forward? It doesn't change much because of the Cowboys' loss on Thanksgiving. Right. 
The Eagles it just still doesn't give you a ton of confidence. That's the difference. Is uh, you know, and we we said this on the post game show uh, on Sunday uh, night. Myself, Ike Reese, Amy Campbell were talking, and um, you know, he said, "Look, uh, you, you can't let Miami beat you twice. You go to you know, you have New York next week, Monday night at home. Um, you know, if you come in and you know, if this week's about self pity and like, oh, I can't believe we lost that game. You know, are we any good? Yada yada yada. That that team beats you twice and you lose to the Giants, and now. Now, now you're done. Now, now it's not looking good. Right, right. Unless Dallas keeps losing. <coughs> no, you're done. Um, yeah. So, no, it, to me, it doesn't change. What, the, the Eagles still need to be able to win out. That's right. still, that, that was the picture last night, you know, 48 hours ago. That's the picture right now. Um, but they have to be able to turn this around. It's a three-game losing streak at this point. Uh, they've got to get back off that. Um, but we transition now uh, into this matchup. Uh, let's talk about Eagles-Giants. and um, Let's start with the Giants' defense. James Betcher, because uh, I think there's a lot to talk about with the offense that I want to hit you on, but I want to start with this defense and how it matches up with the Eagles' offense. It's another team, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that will play a good amount of man, uh, another team that will bring pressure from lots of different angles. Uh, tell us about the James Betcher defense. Yeah, I mean, I think they've struggled a lot this year. You know, Big plays. And, yeah, Warriors. way too many big plays. But, you know, theoretically, that's what James Betcher wants to do. The problem they've had is they really haven't been able to rush the quarterback. You know, their, their outside pass rushers have been Golden and Carter for the most part. Right. They've worked the rookie in, um, and you can pronounce his name. O'Shane Zimenez. There you go, Old Zimenez. Yep. They've worked him in at times, but mostly it's been Carter and Golden. And, and Golden can be tough at times. Yep. Carter is still kind of figuring out how to brush the quarterback in the NFL. He's in his second year. They sometimes use him as a joker, move yep. him around, because that's what James Betcher does. And that's what he was at Georgia, kind of, yeah. Yeah. How he was used, yeah. moved around. And it's funny, I remember when Mel Tucker was the defensive coordinator at Georgia before he took the head coaching job at Colorado this past year, I, I actually got a chance to speak with him at the Maxwell Club dinner the year that Carter came out, Roquan Smith came out, and I had already watched all the Georgia players on tape. Right. And I went up and uh, introduced myself to him, and we just started talking talking about some of his defenders and we had a great conversation about Carter and he said to me that he said he's a great kid long athletic but they're going to have to teach him how to rush the quarterback in the NFL right yep and I think that's where he is yeah you know he's not a true passer every once in a while you see a flash because people thought maybe he was like Leonard Floyd but he's not like Leonard Floyd no, right yep um but so that's where they struggle a bit. So you have to try to scheme pressure and then you get caught up in your secondary. And they haven't really used Janoris Jenkins this year as much as a matchup corner. He yep, stayed on one side. Yep. Right. Um, you know, they've struggled a bit uh, on, at, on the other side at the corner position. Um, you know, they've had to mix and match in the slot. They played Grant Haley, the Penn State kid. He got hurt. Then Ballantyne played for a number of games. Haley was back this week, yep. predominantly playing in the slot. Um, they brought in a, a better favorite, Dion Buchanan, who now plays a lot in their nickel. Yep. Uh, you know, Mayo plays in their base. You know, he was a kid from Carolina who, you know, um, who, who's hung around the league, but Buchanan plays a lot now in their nickel. So I, and, and the interesting thing to me is they've made Julian Love a safety. Yeah, they moved him. He was a Notre Dame corner. Who uh, I thought was, was a very solid corner prospect. I liked him at corner. They moved him to safety. He's made. He's been watching their defense. He's always around the ball. And and Peppers is, is out. I guess uh, I forget his injury, but he was inactive this week. Right. I don't know if he's going to be inactive again. Yeah, I forget it's, what he, it's early in the week, so we're not. I sure forget what his injury exactly is, so I don't know. Yep. But Love started at safety. He was their safety this week, sure. along with Bethay. Yeah. No, and you know Bethay is a guy that's played for Betcher in the past. Yep. Um, you know, and so when you have. Uh, you know these guys from a veteran standpoint, and then we haven't talked about that line. Um, you know they've got that three-man line. Yeah, going, they and trade for Leonard Williams. It's actually and, and Leonard Williams has not done very much, right? And doesn't play. I mean, he's a rotation player. Yep. No, he is. I mean, I mean, they've got, got some guys who are pretty talented. Um, you know, they've got Hill, they've got Tomlinson, Alvin Tomlinson, yeah, um, former second-round pick. Yep. And then Dexter Lawrence was the first-round pick this year. Yeah, and he's he's had his moments. Yep. He's a tough guy to block. Big, powerful kid. Yeah. Uh, he's really strong on the point of attack in the run game. Yep. But uh, you know, they to me watching them and just kind of getting a sense of their pressure scheme and how they want to try and attack offenses. A lot of, lot of slanting, a lot of twisting, a yep. lot of stunts. Because uh, it's like you said, they don't have like that one guy who's going to just beat you one-on-one. -on -one. Even Golden is is mostly a speed-to-power guy. He's not right. a bend-the-edge guy. Correct. So the, you know, the, yeah. a lot of these guys, they're, they try to scheme it. And so it's a, it's a lot of post-snap movement. Uh, guys that are, you know, if they're, they might line up in the A-gap here, but they might go backside A-gap, and you've got another guy coming. You've got two guys coming from the opposite side. A lot of, a lot of different stunts and twists uh, with this team. From a blitzing standpoint, they'll send guys 
guys from the second level and third level. We've no seen question. some triple A gap blitzes uh, from them on film. So, um, you know, it's going to be another homework game from a pressure standpoint for the Eagles offensive line. You know, and, and, and again, <clears throat> what I'm struck by is the fact that this team gives up a lot of big plays. Yeah. So now to me, if you're the Eagles, your game can't be solely predicated on all these quick game throws. You're going to have to try to take some shots right. because the shots are going to present themselves. And I think you have to be prepared for that. Yeah, it's uh, it's an offense that they're giving up more big plays than anybody in the NFL. If I if memory serves, I don't have the stuff. yeah, I don't have the number, but it's they're, it, they're right there. there. Yeah, they're right there. Um, and, and and the thing early in the season, in particular, and, and it still happened on occasion, but early in the season, it really happened a lot. There were a lot of assignment mistakes, yeah. a lot of busts. Yep. No, they've they've got a young secondary. I mean, when you yeah. look at uh, obviously, look, they've got the veterans. We talked about Janaris Jenkins and Bethay, uh, but Jabril Peppers, his first year in the scheme, and he's only a third year player. Julian Love, a rookie. Corey Ballantyne's a rookie. Uh, DeAndre Baker is the starter at left corner. He's a rookie. Uh, Sam Beal, he's in a second year, but essentially a rookie because he missed. He's starting to get he and Baker are starting to share snaps which tells you that which the tape tells you Baker's had a very up and down year yeah. and I think he's going to turn out to be a solid player right. and who and my guess is if they like both, that Beal and Baker will end up being their corners because Janoris Jenkins probably won't have a lot of years left. Sam, I mean, Sam Beal, you know, for, for fans, he he's in Western Michigan. Game? Yep, supplemental yeah. draft. Uh, I studied him on film before that supplemental draft. He was draft. pretty good. He's long. He's athletic. athletic he's yeah. fast. I mean, he's, you know, I'm trying to think of a, of a comp. It's tough because they're, it, he's long and fluid and athletic. He's... He's a, tool, a toolsy prospect for Correct. sure. The, the the touchdown they gave up a touchdown uh, this week to Green Bay where he just, he looked he got completely turned around by right. Devontae Adams uh, down in the high red zone. But um, no, he's he's very toolsy for sure. Um, trying to look at the the rest of this group. Alec Ogletree, we kind of know the book on uh, yeah. Ogletree at this yeah. point. Um, you know, and then that we mentioned that defensive front. So uh, that's the defense. Let's go over to the offensive side because um, there are certainly some things to talk through here. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on Daniel Jones and what you've seen from him so far in his, you know, eight games as a starter or whatever it's been at this point. I would say there's more positive than negative, but but he's more but he's up and down. Yeah. And and don't forget, they've gone through a season without a lot of weapons. I don't have any weapons at all, well, no. especially with Saquon has been in and out of the lineup. Correct. And Ingram's been in and out of the lineup, too. Yep. And Shepard was banged up early in the year. Right. Yeah. He faced the concussion issue. Um, the protection's been spotty. Yep. Um, but I think there's been more positive than negative. I think he throws a good ball. I think there's there's a firmness to him in the pocket. He's willing to stand there and deliver the football. Yep. And to me, that's still a positive in the NFL. So we played we played the Vikings the week after they played them. And that, I believe that was his first start. So I, I remember watching and thinking, I'm like, sorry, all right, I'm watching the Vikings right. defense, but I want to keep an eye on Daniel Jones. The thing that stood out to me back then was his poise. I thought he was really tough in the pocket and he was accurate from the pocket. Yes. Even though, even under he's an pressure. accurate thrower. Yeah. And, and I think over the course of the season, I would say he showed a lot of traits that lead you to believe he could become a good player. Yeah. Now, those traits come and go for many different reasons. Right. But I think he's shown pocket movement. Yep. I think he's shown awareness of the rush. I think he's shown poise and composure in the pocket. I think he's shown the willingness to make late in the down throws. I think he's shown the willingness to turn it loose. Yep. I think there's a lot of traits that you look at because and say, this guy has a chance to be a good player. Yeah. Now, He's mobile, but to me, he's essentially a pocket player. In other right. words, he can make plays with his legs. Yep. But he's not, you know, he's not in, in the Deshaun Watson mold right. or that of kind of player. Right. Of course. You know. So I mean, to me, you're not spending your time. Yeah. Do you want to let your your alert your defense in certain situations? Hey, he can get out of the pocket. Sure. But you're not building a game plan around his ability to run. The big thing with him has been third number one right now in giveaways. Yes. Turning the ball over way yes. too much. He's putting the ball on the ground. Interceptions Correct. as well. So uh, Eagles, I think one of the big keys in this game, make him feel uncomfortable, force him into making mistakes because he's shown that he's willing to. Well, that's because he's willing to, to stand there and throw it. Right. Yeah. And if you're under duress and you don't get a clear definition, you know, that's what will happen. Yeah. I, I, I've been impressed with him. I, yeah. I'm excited to continue to watch him. Just no, I agree. Game. I agree. I think there's definitely been more positive than that. And having said that, last week he threw three picks. He could throw three picks any given week. Right. Yep. 
Well, it's, that's and and, and you know in the defensive back room, the uh, they're going to be saying, hey, he's going to throw it to us, and then you got to feel that way. Right, and you got at any given point it could happen. Right, any area of the field, red zone, middle of the field, uh, backed up scenario. Let's get to uh, to Saquon Barkley. Um, you know, we've we've talked a lot about Saquon on the show, uh, the kind of runner he is. Obviously, a physical freak. There's no denying right. that. Uh, we've used the term the run the daylight runner. Um, you know, and give us a quick a quick elevator speed. What is what does that mean? A run to daylight runner. I always thought Barkley, and, and you know, certainly there are times he, he's run with power. We talked about this last year. I remember he had a game against Tampa Bay last year where he really stuck it in mm. hard up inside. Yep. But to me, he's always been a guy, despite the fact that he's 233 pounds and really powerfully built, yeah. I've always felt that he's a guy that's looked to run away from contact. And I don't mean that in a negative way, like, oh, he's sure. afraid of contact. Right. Because he's certainly not. No. <laughs> but, I mean, the style of runner that he is, he looks to find daylight, looks to find areas where the defenders are not. And, I, and for, if listeners may hear that and say, well, isn't, isn't that the point? The, the point, I guess, that you're trying to make is that there are yards to be had in tight spaces. Without question. So if you're just searching for the wide lanes, that's not always going Miles to Miles Sanders, to some degree, is yes. the same kind of bat. Right, exactly. Yes. You know, in that he's, you know, and sometimes that works. Look, he had two runs this week where he did bounce. One went for 13, one went for seven, and it looked good because he got to the edge and he was able to show some speed. I see Barkley in a similar way, and I thought that even watching him at Penn State. Barkley is looking for space when he yep, runs. Right. He's not looking, you know, even though he has the feet, the the balance, every, every trait Explosive you want, power, all, that, all that, to work very well in confined space, yep. I don't view him as a confined space runner. Right, yep. I mean, does that no, make sense? No, no question. Okay, yeah. that, and again, to, to drive it home for the listeners, the shorty, you know, everyone will say, what's the shortest distance from A to B? Straight line. Right. So if you're trying to get to the end zone, getting, you know, going at a, a 30 degree angle to the sideline and then trying to navigate through up the side, that's not necessarily the fastest way to pick up no, and, yardage. And certainly, Fran, as we know, he's got the burst, the speed, the explosiveness to be able to do that at times. Exactly. And we've seen him do it in the NFL 65 yard runs at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah. But, but to me, you know, I, I don't know how many people can remember, you know, not that this was that long ago. It's not. But someone like Frank Gore in his prime. Right. You know, Frank Gore was so great at working through small creases. You know, they ran a lot of power when he was with the 49ers in his prime. Yeah. He was phenomenal at working through really small creases where there were a lot of bodies and being able at that point to still gain yards, to navigate through bodies and, and tight space. Right. I don't see Barkley as that kind of runner, yeah. which doesn't mean he's not a great player. And by the way, in the run game and in the pass game, as we've seen already in his young career, even versus the Eagles, he can break off 60 yarders in either area, running or catching. He's a, he's very, very dynamic in the passing game. Screen game, uh, Texas routes out of the back, right. the wheel routes. Even they, they can't line him up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he can be used in all those ways uh, in the passing and that, game. It's just like we spoke about Fitzpatrick you know, willing to throw it up and make plays. You can't allow Barkley in this game all of a sudden to have, you know, a 40-yard touchdown catch and a 60-yard touchdown run, and all of a sudden you're down and you go, what, what just happened? Right. No. And he is he is the – in a perfect world, he is the focal point of that offense. Um, he's been banged up this year, so it's been a little bit up and down from that standpoint. We'll look at the rest of these pass catchers. Uh, you mentioned Evan Ingram, the dynamic tight end, very athletic. He's been in and out of the lineup. Yep. Uh, a great athlete. That's been a killer. Piece, but that's hurt them. <clears throat> that's been a killer. I mean, so now they're playing Caden Smith, yep. who was their leading receiver this week. Stanford, rookie right? Tight end from yeah, rookie yeah. Out of Stanford. Yeah, I remember yeah. watching him, and you know, he's a Stanford tight end. Yep. Like I didn't see him in the same at the same level, let's say Austin Hooper, right. as a receiver. But he, I bet he'll end up being a very solid pro. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then you've got uh, Rhett Ellison who's still there, uh, a point of attack player. Yep. The other receivers, you're looking at Sterling Shepard, who, again, has been banged up this year, uh, mostly in the slot, a lot of routes over the middle of the field, the quick slants, things yep. like the shallow crosses. Uh, Cody Latimer, uh, a veteran, former second-round pick out of Indiana, went to the Denver Broncos, didn't work out there, ends up in New York. He's made some plays down yeah. the field. Different. He, had, he caught a skinny post this week uh, against Green Bay. He's a guy that's he's got some speed, he's got some size, so he can make some plays for them uh, down the field. Golden Tate, uh, I would say, has probably been their de facto, you know, top receiver. Uh, well, Darius Slayton. 
Well, that's the guy that we're going to talk about at the end. Yes, I was going to bring him up on the back end. Um, Slayton has been a big play weapon. A sixth round pick, I believe, out of Auburn. <coughs> Auburn, long, instant lean, speed. speed. Yes, instant speed. And he's, to me, he's done better than I thought. In other words, you know, to me, when he came out, it was the speed. I was texting with a, uh, a scout uh, this morning, and we were talking about Slayton, and I said, he's turned into a much better pro quicker than I thought. Because mm-hmm. I, Without question. That was literally, that was the, exactly what I said. It was just funny that you said that, because I went back, and I just read my notes, and I said, what did I, what did I think of him? Because I watched, I watched all of his big plays, and I'm thinking, like, like man, all right, like, you see deep posts, you see slant routes where he's getting DBs turned around, you see that instant speed after the catch, you see him in and out of breaks, flying in and out. And I'm like, all right, let's watch some of the other ones. So I see he's had issues with drops this year. There's some plays where he's missed, you know, actually a, a good chunk of drops uh, this year, probably a little bit more than they would like. Um, some missed plays of the ball down the field. Um, but he, but you got to be he careful. Fly. He's got the speed. And that, so now, that's, you, now you're in that situation again with Mills and Darby that this guy can run by you. Yes. Well, you'll be talking about that on uh, on Eagles game plan this week because uh, he is the matchup player. I, right. I think when you look at his offense. I mean, obviously we know about Barkley. We know about Barkley. Yeah. But, but Slayton yep. as the perimeter player is the matchup concern here Uh, to me it was interesting because watching him I'm like you know you saw the speed in and out of cuts at Auburn, and it was an offense where it was not a full route tree. And we, we've talked about. Oh, you saw uh, the off, vertical you know, speed. He caught some deep balls where he just ran by people. I mean, that was the thing is that yeah. you you knew he had that in his right, back, right. but he was not a polished player. No. You, saw, you saw some flashes of you know him throwing a head fake or a shoulder fake at the top of the route and shaking a defense. And it's why he was drafted where he was because yeah. let's compare him to let's say someone like DJ Chark, who also was a burner with a similar body type, but Chark was much more refined and polished to me as a route runner coming out of LSU than yep. Slayton was coming out of Auburn. Right. And that's why Chark was a second-round pick. Second-round pick, yep. Because there was a sense that he was more than just a 4-3 guy. Yeah. No, he's, and, I, and I think Slayton, there wasn't a sense of that. Yeah, I thought there, he was going to need a little bit more time, I thought, watching him at Auburn. Right. And, I and he still needs time. He does, but the point is, is, he's gotten an opportunity to play yep. because of the injuries, um, and he's... He's made the most of it. He's done well. Yeah. No, yeah. And uh, Jones has faith in him. Yeah. Um, so he's a player that certainly has to be accounted yeah. for in this game. Offensive line-wise, we'll just wrap it up here. Uh, left tackle, we've got Nate Solder, who they signed, big ticket free agent uh, a couple years ago. Uh, Will Hernandez, second-round pick. He's the left guard. John Jalapio is the center from Florida. Did you watch him coming out? Yeah, I thought he was a little bit heavy-footed. I, I didn't I was, watch him. Yeah, I, I watched him coming out. Um, you know, He's turned into a solid pro. Yeah. Uh, right guard, Kevin Zeitler, who they got in the uh, the Odo Beckham trade as well. And then right Mike Remmers, they signed uh, away from Carolina. Obviously, uh, Dave Gettleman knows him well from the from the Right. So thoughts on that O-line. It's been up and down. Yeah. I thought it would be better. Yeah. I think Solder struggled. Solder's really struggled. Yeah. I mean, you know, the tape tells you that. You know, Remmers I don't know. Struggled He's been too, in, yes, I, struggled. I agree. Yeah. And I'm not sure Remmers is really a guy you want starting, starting. at yep. tackle. Right. Um, and I don't think I'm saying anything out of school by saying that. But I think, I think the tape tells you that. So I think what's what's weird to say is that you've put, you're probably getting more – even though the play is not great, it's more even play than what they got out of Chad Wheeler last year, where it was like... Yes, I would agree with that. You didn't know what you were getting no, from Chad no, Wheeler. No, I would agree with that. Basis. Right. Remmers is one of those veteran O-line pros. Right, yep. You know, um, but Solder struggled. He could be at the end of his career. I think that's a position, they know this better than we do, that they'll have to address after yeah. this year. Both, I think both guards are guys that are going to say, Hernandez isn't a, a, you know, a great athlete, but a big, powerful, right. physical right. guy. Seidler's yeah. uh, you know, a good player. Yeah, Seidler's a good player. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting matchup. Yeah. The bottom line is, right now, every matchup's interesting for the Eagles. I mean, they, they have to be because they have to win each one. They have to win. Right. The bottom line is they have to win out. Yes. Yeah, it's a guarantee. You can't sit here and say, well, let's hope Dallas. Hey, we got a gift on Thanksgiving Day. Yep. Okay? Right. Yep. The Eagles have to win every game. Yeah. Well, it's uh, – it's, it's crunch time now. Final four yeah. games, um, all in division. This is what we've been talking about all season yep. long. Uh, you know, the Eagles uh, one and one in the division right now. They've got to go. They've got to go five and one in the division to that is go correct postseason. So, yep. uh, Greg, we'll be back. Uh, we won't be in studio next week. We'll do this over Skype next week, just because of the game being on Monday Night Football. But uh, so the podcast will be a little bit later next week. But, okay. Uh, we will see you next week here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. All right, Fran. Great stuff from Greg, and you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this show on every form of social media. But that's one way to support the show. The best way, the top way, is to go onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out to a couple of people who did just that. First, Tom 
L339 left a five-star review saying thank you for the show, giving them a whole new way to watch NFL games. So Tom, uh, really appreciate the, the love there, appreciate the rating and the review. And then lastly, Richard left a five-star review with a question. Who on the practice squad do you particularly like out of college and think may ultimately contribute? So, Richard, I thought that was a really good question. It gave us an opportunity to kind of look at the practice squad for the Eagles right now. I was actually surprised. I've actually watched a good amount of these guys from when they were in college. So let's just kind of buzz through really quickly. At quarterback, you've got Kyle Lalletta, former mid-round pick, actually, ironically, of the New York Giants out of Richmond in 2018. Uh, this was a Downingtown kid, grew up in Exton, PA, so very close by here to South Philadelphia. Uh, accurate anticipation through the roof. Really liked those traits with him coming out. I thought he was one of those accurate passers in last year's draft. Uh, the arm strength, you know, the physical tools weren't all that great. I know he had some issues with the Giants, and that's ultimately why he got cut after his second camp. But uh, this is a guy I thought you know, had some ability, especially from an accuracy, a timing and rhythm, anticipation. A lot of those things I thought really stood out with him on film. I thought there was a lot to work with there. Uh, running back D'Angelo Henderson coming out of Coastal Carolina in 2017. I did not study him. Uh, short, ran 4.43 at the combine, uh, but a 1.53 10-yard split, which is a really impressive number for a running back. So that kind of showed off that gear that he's got, that short area burst. Uh, but I did not study D'Angelo Henderson uh, at Coastal Carolina. Robert Davis from Georgia State, same draft class at wide receiver. I did study Robert Davis. He went on to become a draft pick uh, of Washington, a late-round pick. Was stuck around there, uh, either on the bottom end of the roster or on the practice squad for a couple of years. Now is here on the practice squad. And I was pretty intrigued by this kid coming out of college. I thought he would be a really impressive developmental player, a guy that you can kind of stash away and work on because he was 6'3". He ran 4'4 flat at the combine. That speed showed up on film. Big-bodied kid who can run, but you just needed to see a lot more in terms of beating press coverage, you know, cleaning things up as a route runner. There was a lot to work with there from a tool standpoint, but a lot of refinement was needed. So I haven't studied Davis, obviously, since he's been here, but uh, a player that in college I thought had a lot of intrigue. Uh, Marcus Green. He was a he's a rookie. He just came out in this most recent draft class out of Louisiana Monroe. I didn't study him last year, but very dynamic wide receiver return specialist. Uh, was one of the finalists for the Paul Horning Award as one of the most versatile players in college football a year ago. So certainly it's something on his resume to keep an eye on. Uh, I did did watch though a couple of years ago Pitt tight end Scott Orndorff, who's now on the practice squad. Uh, size speed guy, six five. He ran pretty well. The the game that really stands out to me. Pitt went on the road. I'm pretty sure it was on the road. And they either upset Clemson or they came really, really close. I'm pretty sure they upset them. And all I remember was Scott Orndorff catching multiple shovel passes, going right through the teeth of the Clemson defense and showing off those wheels, that extra gear that he had. I thought he was a pretty well-rounded player at Pitt, Uh, just a guy that needed to kind of put some things together, get a little bit better as a route runner. I remember he had some drops issues uh, as well. But, you know, his size, speed profile, I thought was really intriguing. So I remember that from watching him at Pitt. Uh, Sua Opeta was here all summer during training camp. I did watch him as well out of Weber State last year. Really athletic kid. Just needed to get stronger and more powerful. Uh, That was something I noted. I thought he would need a little bit more time to develop. Eagles obviously giving him that opportunity to develop here. Keegan Render uh, out of Iowa last year. I did not study him uh, during his college career uh, with the Hawkeyes. Uh, Bruce Hector is down on the practice squad. We know Bruce Hector at this point. He played most of the year last year on the Eagles active roster out of USF. Uh, as a rookie. Uh, active player, stout, uh, had the ability to rush the passer as well, but I liked him more against the run. We know we kind of know what Bruce Hector brings uh, if you've been watching the Eagles now over the last couple of years. And then lastly, Chris Johnson was just added to the practice squad last week when the team promoted Josh Perkins. Uh, he also was a rookie this past year, or is a rookie right now, out of North Alabama. I actually saw him last year at the East-West Shrine game. Big kid, long, played the ball really well in the air. I thought he had really good ball skills and the ability to finish at the catch point. Needed to be a little bit more of a consistent tackler, but I thought he had the profile of a guy that could be a fourth or fifth safety in the league as a guy that could stick and play some special teams. So uh, I watched, what were we talking here? I watched a handful, more, more than half of these special or of these practice squad players uh, I had watched in college. So it was, it was a good question, Richard. Really appreciate that. Tom, appreciate your question as well. Thank you to you both. And thank you for everybody out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, now let's transition here and let's kind of take a look at uh, at our scouting report segment, I told, told you earlier, we would break down Jabril Peppers coming out of Michigan. Very intriguing player. Very divisive in terms of how people saw him. Let's go back and see how I felt about him just a couple of years ago. 
Dim those lights, we're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so like I said, Jabril Pepper's uh, a very divisive player. You know, I just said it a couple years, uh, just a second ago. Uh, this was a guy that, you know, I remember being at the Combine that year, 2017, and sitting down with Greg at the Combine and having that discussion saying, what do you do with a player like a Jabril Peppers? We had seen guys like Miles Jack, uh, you know, who's, you know, the hybrid linebacker, safety, slot corner. What is he? How is he going to play in the NFL? He can do all these different things. He can play offense. Where is his best position? And we see those every year. This year in this draft, uh, we've talked about Isaiah Simmons over on the Journey to the Draft podcast uh, presented by AAA. We've talked about him a lot this uh, this season already over there uh, with Ben Fennell, one of the best players for Clemson. So keep an eye on him uh, coming down the pipe here in the college football playoff. I think he's kind of built a similar way here to Jabril Peppers. So let's just kind of go into my notes and we'll talk talk a little bit big picture on the back end. Peppers was a two-year starter. And I'm just going to go through the different roles that he played for Don Brown in that defense. He played as a strong sideline linebacker in their 4-3 scheme there his final season lined up typically over the tight end whether he was stacked or often in the slot in subgroups, he lined up at strong safety, so deep off the ball uh, to the field. At times, he would play as a single high player. In 2015, he was listed at safety, but was basically a slot corner there for DJ Durkin. He was the defensive coordinator there. He started as an outside corner. He also played quarterback. He played running back. He played wide receiver. He returned kicks. He returned punts. So this guy was a dynamic player, played all three phases of the game for the Michigan Wolverines over his three-year career. Average size for a safety, he was about 5'11", just over 200. 10 pounds, um, but he was well built. He just had, he had shorter arms. But outside of that, this kid looked the part uh, of an NFL safety. First team All-American in 2016. Heisman Trophy finalist his final year on campus. Came out of high school. Huge recruit. Five stars. Number one player in the country. Number one corner in the country. Out of East Orange, New Jersey. So not far from where we are right now. Obviously very close uh, to the New York Giants. So when you look at this kid coming out of high school, he was a blue chip player. Goes to Michigan. Plays right away on all three phases. And they kind of work him in and he played a different role each and every year on defense. So what did I see from him on film? I saw a guy who was a very good athlete for the, for the safety spot. He had fluid hips, explosive bursts, efficient change of direction, easy needed to play in man coverage. He had experience both in off and in press. He played against receivers and tight ends, in line and in the slot, was very comfortable playing on an island, on his own, could handle himself in man-to-man situations, showed really good instincts as an underneath zone coverage defender. I thought he had a really good feel for being able to play underneath to feel routes developing in front of him and behind him and finding his way uh, to the catch point. I gave him a lot of credit for wearing a lot of hats and doing all the different things. That's one of the things I think that people don't often talk about when you have a player that plays so many different roles for a team. You talk about a guy like Malcolm Jenkins here in Philadelphia. You have to be a very smart player. You have to know the defense in and out to be able to say, okay, on this play, I'm going to line up in this role. On the next down, I'm going to line up on the complete opposite end of the field doing something completely different. And on the next down, I might be doing something completely different from that. So in order to do that, you've got to have a really good understanding of the entire defensive scheme and know who's playing where, who's got what responsibility on every single coverage call, every single pressure call, uh, all the run fits. You've got to have a good understanding of all of that. So you have to give a lot of credit to Jabril Pepper for that coming out of Michigan. Uh, projected well, I thought, near the line of scrimmage in the run game. Was really aggressive taking on blocks. Uh, was able to defeat blocks from receivers and tight ends. Uh, was able to win with quickness. Did use his hands at times to defeat receivers uh, on the edge. And he was a very effective blitzer from all areas of the field. Good motor. Would try and make plays in pursuit. So a high effort player. Very competitive. Everything you liked. Playing close to the line of scrimmage. Um, the questions I had was... He didn't have a lot of reps playing deep. So how is he going to be as a deep field player? If you saw him playing as a two high or a one high player, those that was going to be a question mark for me. It was going to not that he couldn't do it. It was just going to be a little bit of a projection because that's not what he was really asked to do during his career at Michigan. Um, he had limited reps everywhere during his career with the Wolverines. So everything you asked him to do, if you were going to just ask him to play one role, well, he hadn't done that in ex, over an expansive period of time. So it was going to be a little bit of a projection. You know, it's obviously a very athletic player, but were you going to match him up one-on-one against the top slot receivers in the NFL? Was he going to run vertically with a Deshaun Jackson or an Emmanuel Sanders and some of the best deep threats deep threats in the league? Was he going to be able to do that? I didn't see that. So that was a guy that, you're okay, you see him as a slot corner. He did that in college. 
He's not going to be that on an every down basis in the NFL. So that was going to be the question. An impact tackler, a guy that didn't necessarily wrap up, but would come in and be very physical. I thought he needed to work on things from a tackling technique standpoint. But I wrote down uh, at the end of the day, this was a guy that was a jack of all trades, master of none. I gave him a lot of credit for handling all the roles he did in college. But how does he project to the NFL? He thought he was an, an Earl Thomas type. I thought he was more of a guy that could be closer to the line of scrimmage. He looked comfortable in that role, uh, more so in the slot or in the box as opposed to being a deep player. I thought he could be a high-end starting strong safety. Would not shock me if some saw him as a linebacker down the road. Now, what do we see here a couple years later, right? A couple of his first two years in Cleveland, he was played as a deep player and was mostly ineffective. And that's why Cleveland felt that they could part with him. Even though he still had upside, they still dealt him in that trade for Odell Beckham Jr. with the New York Giants. And the Giants get him. How is he being used? Mostly near the line of scrimmage. And that's where he's made most of his plays. You see him in the slot. You see him matched up on tight ends. You see him in the box. You see him as a blitzer playing underneath zone coverage. He's made a number of big plays uh, so far this year. One of my questions I had with him was ball skills. You do see him uh, you know, being able to impact the catch point. He's had a number of forced fumbles this year in all areas of the field. So a lot of really good things from Jabril Peppers on film. And I think ultimately, when you talk about defensive players, because offensively, it's you know everyone talks about positionless football and you, know, you can put a guy, if he can, he's a running back, but you can line him up out wide. You can put him in the slot. You can do all these different things. Defensively, you have to understand, okay, what is this guy going to do for us on our base defense? All right, well, we go to nickel. What is this guy going to do for us in our nickel or our dime? How is he going to impact sub package? Because, you know, you, we can say that a guy in college, oh, he did everything. All right, but what of those skills is going to project to the NFL? What is he being asked to do in college? How does that project to the NFL that we feel confident he can execute that role? When I looked at Jabril Peppers, yeah, he played in the slot against receivers in college in the Big Ten against Wisconsin and Iowa and Northwestern and Ohio State. That worked fine there. I didn't see a guy that, oh yeah, he's going to match up with slot receivers every single down in the NFL. Match up with tight ends, match up with backs, absolutely. I thought he would be kind of the, the, the prototype for the new age strong safety. And I think when you look at strong strong safeties in today's game. You need to be athletic because he ran 4-4. He was a great athlete. I would say, oh, he could play corner. He could play free safety. But when you look at his skill set, this was a guy I thought had a really good idea of how to play close to the line of scrimmage, get after the quarterback, defend the run. He knew how to navigate himself through contact and play in traffic. This is a really, really intriguing player uh, and a guy that obviously has found a home in New York. They're using him in a really, really uh, smart way. He's been very productive, much more productive than what he's done in Cleveland to start his career. So Jabril Peppers, a very interesting case study, and it's just something to, t- to keep in mind, not just for safety linebackers, but for every position in the NFL. It's not about what you did in college. It's about what you did in college that projects to the NFL. What can you do for your future NFL team? It's not about what you did. It's about what you can do moving forward. The tape can tell you some of that. Everything else, obviously, uh, plays into the plays a part into that picture. I mentioned there's guys like Isaiah Simmons from Clemson in this class, other players from around the country that have, a, that have that similar kind of skill set. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how those guys are mu- used moving forward. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. Thanks so much to Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, uh, everywhere, wherever you listen, thank you. And again, one last time, just go leave us a rating, leave us a comment wherever you listen. It just helps promote the show and boost us up the rankings a little bit as we get closer and closer to the end of the regular season here in the NFL. All right. That'll do it. We will see you next week. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.